University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at UBCBR on Facebook for more information. Now, if you've ever been to the city of Pittsburgh, there is a unique sandwich shop called the Permanci Brothers Deli. It's in the historic strip district of of, uh, Pittsburgh. It's right across from uh, their baseball field. During the Great Depression, the uh, brothers uh, invented a sandwich in which they were trying to um, give to steel workers who didn't have time to lay out a plate and have everything they could eat on a plate. So instead, they smashed everything into one sandwich together. So in this one sandwich, you have uh, two large pieces of French toast, tomato, coleslaw, melted cheese, a heavy helping of ham, and french fries. All this stuffed into one sandwich. Now, I've been there before, and when I took a group there, three-quarters of the people I took there, when they ordered their sandwich, asked for all of these things to be taken off their sandwich. That's like going to a pizza shop and saying, I'll, uh, I'll have the bread and uh, the tomato sauce. Don't put any cheese or anything else on it. It's like having boudin without the boudin, right? So all this brilliance stuffed into one delicious sandwich. Over the last couple of months, we've been looking at what it looks like to fill our lives with the goodness of Christ. We've been investigating Paul's letter to the Colossians in which he calls them to fill their lives with compassion and with peace and with mercy. Each week, we've been examining these qualities to consider not only what does it look like to fill our lives with the goodness of Christ, but what does it look to fill others with the goodness of Christ? We've given you buckets to carry around with you as a daily reminder of this challenge. So let's catch up in the text. Paul begins in Colossians 3.12 by writing, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another of any grievances you have against someone. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgiveness? No thank you. Is there another option? I don't know about you, when I hear Paul's words, I'm, I'm all about kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. However, when we get to forgiveness, that is such a difficult thing for us to consider. Think about the deep emotional bomb that comes with having to look at someone and saying, I forgive you for what you have done. Think of all the things that someone has done to you. She has made my life a living hell. This guy sabotaged my reputation at work. He cheated on me. This guy literally threatened me and my family. She is a bully. They excluded me from their little group of friends. She backstabbed me to a point I can never forgive her. So forgiveness, Paul? No, thank you. I'll take something else instead. You see, when someone hurts us, the endless emotions that well up inside us, it's this great cocktail of anger and resentment and bitterness and revenge and loathing all mixed together in a bomb that just wants to go off. I don't know about you, but 
When someone makes me suffer, my natural reaction is for them to suffer as I have suffered, for them to experience the pain they've caused upon me, for them to know and remember what they have done for me. So when Paul says, ask for forgiveness and seek forgiveness for others, frankly, naturally, usually we don't want to. Revenge seems so much sweeter, doesn't it? I found a few examples of revenge that are quite brilliant. Uh, Take, for example, this first one here. This guy threw trash away in someone else's property. The problem he made was, the mistake was, uh, I think we've got an image up here. He uh, threw away in his trash his, his personal information, his home address. So the person decided they would get him back in this way. They took the trash and they put it in his front yard, just like that. This guy uh, got an argument with his wife and called his wife the sandwich maker of the family as if it was her duty to him. And so the next day at work when he bit into a sandwich, this is what he bit into. (laughs) A piece of cheese still in its wrapper. Of course, there are the more innocent ones. Uh, I like this last one I think we have up here. The brother trying to throw up the rabbit ears and the donkey right behind it. See, one of the most pivotal stories in the Bible is built around the concept of revenge. It's the story of David and Saul. See, Saul was the chosen king of Israel, except Saul couldn't help but to goof up again and again and again. So God chose someone else, a shepherd boy named David. Now, the book in 1 and 2 Samuel could be called a Game of Thrones because over and over again, it is a campaign of rage and jealousy and murder attempts on David. This eventually leads David to go out on the run, and while David is on the run, he continues to fulfill what God has called him to by saving people from these invading armies. Saul decides instead of doing his duty as the king and protecting his people, he sends out his army to search and destroy David. And this comes into a climax in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Listen to the story. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep's pen along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. Okay, here's the deal. Scripture can be funny sometimes. Yes, there are holy aspects of Scripture in which it challenges us and shake our foundation with new paradigms, sometimes calling us to this greater purpose of life. But then there are sometimes passages that are intended to be funny. Take, for example, our scripture for this morning. When it says that Saul went into the cave to relieve himself, it was not saying that Saul was going into the cave to take a nap. It was saying that Saul was going in to do what all of us have to do. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why is this in scripture? Is this the scripture writers trying to be funny? Quite possibly. Yes, every time I read this passage of Scripture, I laugh out loud. Is this trying to show us just how submissive Saul was in this moment, how vulnerable he was to David's attack? Most likely. But what we need to recognize is that Scripture does have a sense of humor. So Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself, and David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave, and they hear Saul coming in. We'll just leave it to your imagination of how they heard Saul in the cave. Look back at verse 4. It says, The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. So David and his mighty men have 
pushed Saul. They are hiding in the cave. They've been on this endless rat race of David running away from Saul, constantly a threat of his life. And then they find themselves in a curious moment. Here they are hiding in the cave, Saul in his most vulnerable position, and David's men call him to do the very thing that he had the right to do, to take Saul's life. The law of Moses even called him to do so because it it said an eye for an eye was allowed if the retribution matched the act committed against someone. So in many regards, David had the very right to do what he should have done in this moment. Do I kill Saul? I mean, this is the guy who's tried to murder me again and again. He's literally hunting me down right now. I've done nothing. I could have killed him. I could have taken his life. Let us consider for just a second the ramifications if David had chosen in this moment. The war would have ended. Israel would have been safe. This crazy person sitting on the throne would have been gone. But there was another option. And it says this in the second part of verse 4. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterwards, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe, and he said to his men, the Lord, that have I, the Lord forbid that I should not do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or I lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed one of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul, and Saul left the cave and went on his way. He did what? He had the opportunity to kill the very person who is hunting him down, who's made his life miserable, and he decides to cut off a piece of his robe instead. Instead of revenge, David chose mercy. Instead of death, David gave Saul life. And he's reprimanded by his men as if he has chosen the obvious thing. I love how David reprimands them as if this was the obvious thing he should have done. Like, guys, why would I kill Saul? I mean, the better option here would have been, should I bake him a pie? What should I do for him in this moment? And this is what we are told, that mercy is for the weak, the backwards, those that don't have the guts and the grits to do what is necessary. The word mercy used in Scripture is the word release or to cancel or to set free. Jesus uses this term synonymously with forgiveness and healing in the New Testament. In fact, each time you see Jesus heal a disease or or sickness or cure blindness or cast out a demon, it says that he is showing mercy and healing. And when we see Jesus shows the depth of this charge to his followers in the later stages of the gospel, after his followers have abandoned and betrayed and denied him, after he has been arrested on bogus charges and has experienced the grueling and agonizing torture that led him to the cross, after dragging a wooden cross throughout the streets on his mangled back, after he's lifted up on the cross, Jesus looked down and sees that his enemies are mocking him. Jesus did something absolutely remarkable and unpredictable and unimaginable. Jesus begged God to have mercy on them. For the very people who put him up here on the cross, Father, he cried out, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. You see, God became flesh and walked among us. He showed us grace and mercy and healing. He invited us into a new way of thinking and living, into citizenship in the kingdom of God. And this is encapsulated in this, this word and phrase, crucify him. 
If God flooded the earth because of human darkness, don't you think that God could have done something so much worse as we chose to murder his son? But instead, God chose to do something unexpected. God chose mercy. You see, forgiveness matters most when it seems impossible. That's the thing about forgiveness. It isn't necessarily a fair thing to do, but fair isn't what God is calling us to. God chose the unfair thing by giving us mercy. And when we are willing to follow in the way of Jesus, this radical way of forgiveness, something happens within and through us. There is a true emotional health benefits of forgiveness, choosing not to have pent-up anger and negative feelings and, and vengeance. It leads to a healthier soul. You see, God truly wants what's best for us, including our emotional and spiritual health. When our heart is full of darkness, Jesus said, so too our entire body. When we have an emotional imbalance of darkness and hatred within our hearts, it's not what's best for us. It's not the way of Jesus. And that's why Jesus calls us to forgive and to love. Not just to those who are easy to love and easy to forgive, but our enemies, the people who make our life awful. Jesus tells the crowd of Jews that you have been suppressed and dominated by Rome, but instead I'm calling you to show them mercy. If a Roman soldier forces you to walk one mile with his equipment, walk two instead. If someone asks and demands your cloak, give him your tunic as well. If a Roman hits you, let him hit you on the other cheek. You see, Jesus is calling us to mercy. These words would have been words of sedition among his people. And Jesus goes as far as saying that we choose not to forgive other people, that God does not desire to forgive us. Are we willing to forgive others for the things they have done against us? But what does mercy practically look like? It says here next in the rest of our story in verse 8, And then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord and king, when the Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you but you are hunting me down to take my life. What does forgiveness look like? It begins with words of grace. David has done this profound thing in sparing David's life. His, his words now match his actions. He didn't disrespect Saul and, and throw his act of grace in Saul's face. Sometimes we just want to rub the nose of a person in the mess they have made of our life. Oh, I'll forgive her but she's going to hear about it. She's going to know just how much she has hurt me, just how much she has punished me. I will make sure she is silent with my gracious words of forgiveness. 
You know, forgiveness should be accompanied by words of grace. Look at what David says as he addresses Saul in this moment. My Lord, my King, my Father. David is being so gracious in how he is offering his words to Saul. Saul, you have been on this murderous campaign against me. May the Lord judge me for choosing to show you forgiveness in this moment. Even David, his body language shows the forgiveness towards Saul. Notice the narrator says that David bowed down and prostrated himself before Saul. But what we need to understand about forgiveness is it's not about rubbing someone's face in it, but it's about also keeping somebody accountable. David should not have come out of the cave bounding and, and declaring to Saul, oh, I'll forgive you. Uh, anyone want to have a cookout now? But instead, David chose in this moment to keep Saul accountable for what he was doing. Sometimes mistakes or forgiveness are, are, are glazed over and looking past what someone has done, but we need to realize it's the opposite. Forgiveness is an act of accountability. It's recognizing that wrong has been committed. In the case of David, a spree of murder attempts, the misuse of the army, the innocent blood of priests and their family on Saul's hand, the New Testament word epitomeo, it it means to express a strong disapproval, to to reprove, to reprimand, to censor. So to forgive someone is to recognize the mistakes have been made to yourself and to the people that they have hurt. And Jesus tells us in the gospel that in order to forgive someone properly, we must confront and identify what others have done against us. Jesus is not giving you the the go-ahead to physical and emotional and verbal abuse against someone else, but Jesus is calling us to bring to light the anger and frustration that others have caused. And when we approach someone, we're called to do so in the way of Jesus. It says this in verse 16. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let, not let him go or wave unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way that you have treated me today. I know that you will surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. You know, the fascinating thing happened as a result of David's grace. Saul owned up to what he had done. Saul accepts full responsibility for his actions. He didn't shift blame or justify. He owned up to them. Saul is so contrite, he even declares that he knows that David will be a king and a better king than he is. You see, forgiveness transforms lives, period. The act of forgiveness as they are lived out are not motivated by an opportunity to make someone feel guilty, but to restore someone into the fellowship of God. Grace and forgiveness transforms lives. 
As we look back at our story, Saul is so overcome by David's mercy, he begins to weep, his, his demeanor changes, he addresses the man that he has been hunting down as a son, no longer as an enemy. Saul is so honest, he is so merciful, he is so contrite in this moment. Yet we realize from Jesus this act of grace, this act of forgiveness is an act of healing and mending others. Forgiveness transforms life. Think of the endless times in life, in the ministry of Jesus, that he extended mercy instead of judgment with the unworthy, with the outcast, with the tax collectors, and the prostitutes, and the leprous, and the dying, and the demon-possessed, and the self-righteous religious. Jesus transformed lives with forgiveness and healing. Now imagine in our own life what forgiveness and healing can look like for the past and the present and maybe even into the future. Imagine how God can use you to show forgiveness and transform other people's lives. This is why forgiveness is an act of faith. To not take revenge, to not repay evil with evil goes completely against our culture. It's secondary to our nature. To go against that nature, against that culture, requires a force greater than ourselves, and that is a a force of faith in God. To believe and have confidence and obedience that the way of Jesus is the way we are called to. David had great faith in God that, that God would do what God needed to do through this situation that God would transform Saul, that God would take care of this moment. David is called a person after God's own heart. He knew God. He listened to God. He did what God desired. You see, that's what we need to grasp about forgiveness. Faith is required. To faith, to look at someone who has hurt us and to say that I forgive you, that I move past what you have done, requires a faith as small as a mustard seed. Faith is recognizing that God knows what God is doing. Faith is recognizing that the way of Jesus matters much more than our own way. Mercy requires faith in and through God. And when we show mercy and faith, we are doing the very acts of God in this world. On September 6, 2018, an off-duty police officer um, in Dallas, uh, Amber Geiger, entered the apartment of uh, Botham Jean and fatally shot him. Now, Geiger said that she thought she was entering into her own apartment and therefore was believing that she was in the middle of a burglary in her own home and fatally shot and killed this man. The, the, the circumstances around it made it even more difficult that this was a white police officer who shot an, an unarmed African-American man in his own home it brought up a, a, a lot of questions around racial bias. On October the 6th, 2019, Geiger was found guilty of murder, and the next day she received a 10-year sentence in prison. And the conclusion of this trial was a, a gambit of emotions as witnesses and families of uh, both of them came up and, and spoke on behalf of their deceased loved one. But the story was quite remarkable, because on the day of the verdict, uh, Botham's brother took the stand to give some thoughts on behalf of the family. And I want us to watch what happens. Ron, let's play it. I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And 
I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see I I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. Forgiveness makes no <laughs> Forgiveness at times shows mercy even in the most unthinkable circumstances. Every day you and I carry around a bucket. It is the bucket of our lives. We can either fill up or empty our buckets. We can either fill up or empty the buckets of others. Jesus' invitation is to rethink what's in our bucket. Instead of a bucket filled with hatred and grudges and judgment and fear, Jesus invites us to fill our lives with forgiveness. Forgiveness that comes out of the bountiful love and mercy of God. And as you carry your bucket with you this week, consider what it looks like to be filled with forgiveness. And as you carry your bucket this week, consider what it will look like to fill the lives of your neighbors and your coworkers and strangers and people very different from you with forgiveness.